Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you all. You look very, very elegant this morning and uh, beautiful smiles, and uh, we thank God for that. This morning, I would love to just consider for a few moments here what I would call and, and scriptures would declare and call Mary's Song of Praise, and it is located in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And we're going to go ahead and read it. And I believe it should appear on the screen for you. But uh, this is what it says in the English Standard Version. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever." What a beautiful reminder and song of praise we are given for us as a treasure and a hope as we also await the second advent or the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Latin Vulgate, this is known as Magnificat Anima Me Donimum, which we take from verse 46 my soul magnifies the Lord. Can you say that with me today? My soul magnifies the Lord. What a beautiful declaration of praise and doxology to God, our Savior, to the God of our ancestors, of our forefathers, to the God who was, to the God who is, and to the God who is to come. When I think about this, I think about many things fill my mind and my emotions as I reflect on the state of Israel, the tension, the political tension there of the Roman Empire, and control and oversight, in fact, even moral darkness. And yet it was in this context that the Lord of glory through an angel called Gabriel in the earlier parts of this chapter appeared to Mary and announced to her that she would receive the God child, that she would conceive. And even in the earlier chapters as she wrestles with this and, 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 and processes it, but I, being a virgin, how is it possible? And yet, what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
who defies our very laws of physics and science and nature. What God desires is his prerogative to do, regardless of our limitations of time and space. Yet God breaks through all of this, transcended from all eternity, comes to this woman, blesses her. She will be the instrument by which the Lord will take on the form of flesh. And yet, this humble woman, amidst a society where women are and do not have voice or say so in society, God decides to use this woman and she affords us with this praise. A praise that many scholars would suggest include a very personal, um, um, a, a very personal side to this praise, but also also, my dear friends, if we study the history of Israel and what they had been anticipating, this prophecy since seven centuries ago through the words of a man called Isaiah in both chapter 7 and chapter 9. And yet, we see not only this personal descriptions being included in this hymn of praise, but we also see a eschatological praise of the nearing of a Messiah. Now, something that we've been studying over the last few weeks has been found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 23, which many scholars believe that's a very lengthy prayer. Included in there is the Christological hymn that we considered that is part of our text here at church. The supremacy of Christ. But that prayer in Colossians is a prayer of thanksgiving. And here, my friends, I would humbly submit this hymn of praise. It's one full of thanksgiving of an individual who found themselves in need, as we're going to see here. So again, we have to consider all these things, the religious implications of this, the social implications of this, the political implications for the Jewish mind, awaiting a messianic fulfillment included deliverance from its enemies, namely Rome. They were hoping for a political leader to arise and conquer and defeat all the enemies of Israel and establish the kingdom of God. It also includes the consideration of ethnic life, and it also includes the physical and includes the spiritual, as we will see. So first of all, Mary's song of praise involved her whole being. Notice again the text as it described to us. And Mary said, my soul magnifies, my soul exalts, my soul enlarges, my soul makes big. Huh? My soul exalts and magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So to debunk a lot of the misunderstandings of this, that Mary did not, uh, was sinless, here you have 
a declaration of a needy person in need of a savior. As she personalizes it and says, and my soul magnifies the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord creator, the almighty, and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, not the savior of my, my grandma, not my dad's religion, not my sister, my savior, my savior, my savior. And she says this, for he has looked on this, the humble estate of his servant. This is very familiar and very Lucan theology here. For the gospel of Luke is probably one of the strongest gospel that highlights those who are of lowly estate. Especially of those who are outcast, marginalized, not only in the Roman world, but in the Jewish world. And so Lucan theology describes for us, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, notice what happens here. Not, not, not only that, that, that she describes this intimate, this more, m- most intimate part of, of human existence, but then she says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for He who is mighty, the God who takes the impossible and makes it possible. The God who parted the Red Sea, the God who created the heavens and earth in seven days. Now, if you can't, I'm a literalist, so you're going to find out with that respect. There's no question in my mind. that that is describing a 24-hour period. Now I know science has and all these things uh, come into play there, but that is the word of God and I believe it. And I've come to understand that the Bible is not a science book. It declares truth as it was and as it is. And I'll let God have to make those explanations when, when, we, when we see him face to face. So the soul and spirit derive and are very synonymous with one another. There's no distinction even in Jewish theology. Soul and spirit, the same. They describe the inner core of man's existence, the deepest part, the deepest chamber. Some would even suggest this is who we really are. When I read this, I began to say, wow, what, what, a, what a great reminder of, of, of Scripture's declaration of redemption for humankind. And, and I was drawn to what Paul would tell his good friend uh, Titus in, in, in the island of Crete. And he would say in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What a beautiful affirmation of the Christmas story of what had been occurring and this hymn of praise. My dear friends, I would hope Even if life is hard, 
Even if you find yourself away from loved ones, even if loved ones have passed long ago, may you find hope and peace and joy of the first advent in this 21st century because of Christ. And so when I, when I, when I was processing this, it took me to the second thing I would want to share with you this morning. This, this song of praise Notice what it does. It not only derived from the innermost part of, 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 of Mary, but notice this. It affirmed God's faithfulness, his goodness, and I love this one, his holiness. I may not understand the things I live in life. I might not even understand all the complexities and all the uncertainties of marriage and children and stress and, and illness and, and all kinds of things that life can throw at you. But here's one thing that I can take at face value. And here's something I can treasure. Just like Mary that we heard in in Craig's story. I can treasure this in my heart. I can take this to the bank, folks. I can can stand on this truth. And here it is. Why? Notice notice the second part of this, uh, verse 49. It says, and holy is his name. Perfect. Only God is perfect. Only God is pure. And verse 50, and his mercy, here's another beautiful theme that that David, one of our elders, shared with us from Psalm 103, the hesed, this constant, this loyal love of God, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength. I love this. Because in one side, this praise is describing to us this beautiful, merciful God. Whereas some people have accused Christianity of being too sentimental. In fact, there's even an article written by why guys don't like to go to church. Because it's been too feminized. We always talk about the love and mercy of God, but yet this praise juxtaposes for us not only the holiness, not only a merciful God, but notice this. He has shown strength with his arm. It's like God's flexing his arm, huh? <laughs> well, mine, uh, I'm not doing it justice, but, but you get the idea. His arm, with, he has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted um, those who of humble estate. Notice this. Notice this, because this is very complex, because again, this crosses the barrier of all Christianity, going from just being just simply orthodoxy And then it gets to this orthopraxy, or if I can say it this way, orthopraxical way, if I can say it that way, sorry for all you grammar nerds. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. Does God care about the poor? He does. In fact, somebody wrote, the poor are God's gift to the church for they teach us the value of love and mercy. Without the poor, we would be hard and cold and callous, would be our religion. But the poor instill and teach us 
how to practice grace and love and mercy, compassion. And this is a beautiful thing. When I thought about this and I, and I, and I started reading, first of all, I thought, wow, uh, Mary was, was praising God, the Almighty, the one who had done great things for her in verse 49. And she said that God had provoked, uh, performed mighty deeds. Now again, with his arm. You know, many things. Again, just many thoughts run through my head. But one of the thoughts that ran through it is like, I, I, I couldn't help to think of Psalm 100 verse 4. And again, you get this picture of God, right? The Almighty, Elohim, uh, 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 Adonai, Yahweh, right? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom brush. Why would it say that? Why would it, 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 after focusing on this loving God and, and merciful God, why would it say that? Well, the best text that I read to help me explain and understand this took me back all the way back to, and you can go back further in Scripture, but it took me back all the way to this story that we're going to be doing once we're done with the Colossian series, The Great Departure, the book of Exodus. Really, you hear the cry of people that have been enslaved for over 400 years. And you get this oppressor played by none less than the Pharaoh of the country of Egypt. And God heard the cries of his people. He saw the affliction that his people had endured for generations. And yet, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, listen to the words spoken to Pharaoh. Therefore, and spoken to the people of God, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you. Here's God flexing his arm, right? Here, imagine that. God flexing his big, 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 strong arm, right? And he says, I will take you from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with what? an outstretched arm, and with mighty acts of judgment. There's his holiness. There's the, uh, 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 the loving, merciful God who addresses. You see, friends, th th this, is, this is very, very important for us in our understanding of the gospel. Because when God redeems us, he deals with our sin. He deals with our dark hearts. He deals with our dark minds. And yes, the holiness of God helps me acknowledge that I'm a condemned sinner. That's the part right there, the holiness, the righteous, the justice, and all of those terminologies you can add in there. Where's the hope for my wretched soul? Right? That's that part of Righteousness and judgment. But then the good news doesn't stay there. On the state of my sin and darkness, it also brings forth hope and forgiveness and the renewal and the rebirth of life. Life. 
so that what I was, I don't no longer have to live. I now live as a new. I, I, I think in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about this new humanity, a new human race that we go through when we are born again. And so this language is found in here. But notice also, there's another language in there that, of an, another group of people that, that were included. So we saw the humbled. But the, there's also this human attitude, as somebody called it, this human attitude that falls more severely under God's judgment. This haughtiness. It's almost like uh, Charles Dickens' uh, uh, The Christmas Carol. Right? You all, Amen. all know that one, right? Scrooge. <laughs> Bahambak, right? And, and so, you notice the text again. It includes not so with those who are proud. And this again, it has some allusion there to Old Testament language. Jewish theology that one can find. If you, if you dig it out, you can go back as far as Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 14 and 18, and then 19 through 20. Listen to what it says. You can turn to your Bibles there, or, or, or you could just listen to this. Then your heart will become proud. Talking to, to these new people who had just been delivered from Egypt and are now about to enter into this promised land. And notice... Notice it in life. Notice it in our society. Remember the days when you didn't have much? When you were poor? When you were working two jobs? When you were making ends meet? But notice this. He, he tells them, verse 14, Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and the land of slavery. Verses 18 and on. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors, as it is today. Verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations of the, uh, uh, like the, nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. What is he saying there? What is, what is Mary's praise saying? Or what is it suggesting? Well, for one, it's suggesting, don't forget the Lord your God in all your life lest you become a slave to life itself. You become a slave to sexual sin. You become a slave to work. You become a slave to to, to the things, the material things of this world. Why? Because you forget the meaning of Christmas. This is something that, that again, I, I reiterate. I sound like a broken record to my sons. Like, because every time we're going to, before we open up the gifts, we open up the Bible and we read the Christmas story. If you can't, if you don't feel yourself, I'm going to give you a very theological, a very theological uh, uh, a tool that, that will help you and save you. If you can't read the Bible for whatever reason, 
put on the peanuts, especially the version of, of Christmas, and let Linus explain to you what the Christmas story is all about. Phenomenal! Phenomenal! Right? And yet you see this, right? How fast our country is disregarding its foundation. How rapid our world is forgetting and trying to disregard everything associated with God. Yet it's in this dark time, very similar to darkness that existed in that first advent, we too, my friends, are facing a moral and a spiritual darkness in the 21st century. And yet this praise affords us truths and values for our lives that exceed beyond the gifts and all the singing and all the food. It goes down to our core existence where God desires to be the Lord of our hearts and lives. And finally, finally, this merry song of praise acknowledges God's past. Notice the beauty and, the, and, the, and, the, and how the verses unpack this for us. Because again, it's a constant reminder of what God promised. Something that has really, really helped me and, and I pass it along to other of you who have older kids who are no longer at home. See, we're, Soshi and I, we're, we're, in that crazy, uh, 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 we're in that crazy state of, of becoming empty nesters. When we lived in Minnesota, God saved us from becoming snowbirds. He brought us here to Clovis, California. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. But we were becoming snowbirds. We were starting to take more vacations in the wintertime. But something beautiful, friends, that you can teach, especially you who are older. I hope that in the final days of your life, wherever you're at, this season, if you haven't done it, that you would change the way, the course of your life. Don't live on yesterday's blessings. Leave the following generation, a legacy of God's faithful promise that you've li lived. That's it. Why? Because listen how, to the, how the text really just reminds that this hymn, that this song of praise, this doxology, if you want to call it. Notice what it does, right? And it picks it up in verse 54. It says, He has helped his servant Israel. You want to analyze the Old Testament. It's very interesting because why does a God so stubbornly love a people who are so rebellious, disobedient? In fact, if you, if you read the literature in Isaiah, God accuses his people of, becoming, of prostituting themselves. And he uses the word, I mean, through the prophets, right? You prostitutes, you become a harlot. It's like, whoa, dude, that's found in the Bible? That is. I, or, or read the story of the book of Hosea, right? God tells this prophet, go marry this prostitute, for I want to show my people how I'm committed, even though they have 
sinned. See, we catch you sinning and we're going to be cruel. But God, his constant love, his faithful, his loyal is there. The promises he's made to Abraham have endured for more than a millennia. They were fulfilled in Christ. As we're going to close off this, this, this short thought, right? And in Christ, we too are the offspring of Abraham. And yet, notice this. He has helped. All of this has that Old Testament language. And, and, and some, some people, with, wherever you land theologically on this, if you do the, the, the academic exercise, some people don't even believe that this was Mary's song to begin with because in, in 8th century manuscripts, somehow after the 8th century, the name Mary ap- appeared in this, in this part of the scripture. Wherever you land in that, I don't think it makes a difference because it doesn't change the tone of the praise and the hymn. And this hymn goes back and and it says, and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, his his said, his love, his care. That's why, dear friends, while we live in a dark society, in a dark world, grace all the more abounds. Grace is ever more present. Why? Because God is a God of covenant. God is a God of promise. And while you and I make so many promises to God and we fail to keep them, God's promise is constant. It's loyal. It's faithful. It endures. And so, as you read verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his author. This has not only the past, but you know what? It also has a tone towards future. Let's say the Lord decides to, to, to tarry uh, maybe a hundred more years from now. How does this church, how does Clovis EV Free look like in a hundred years from now? Boy, wouldn't all of us wish to be here? <laughs> to find out. The fact of the matter is, we won't. Wouldn't it be beautiful of heart to know that even though we don't know, God's faithfulness endures from generation to generation to those who fear his name. Amen. The gospel message will still be, there'll be another pastor here. I'll finally retire. <laughs> I'll finally retire. That the name of Jesus Christ, that that hymn of praise, that too, those who will occupy these seats will also magnify the Lord, the God, our Savior. And so, my friends, in the words of St. Paul, um, as he so eloquently describes this to us, in writing to the church and the believers of Galatia, um, in Galatians chapter 3, especially in verse 9, he says, So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
right? So he's, he, he's, he's connecting all of this to faith, right? And then if you jump down to verse 19 of chapter 3 of Galatians, he writes in verse 19, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to referred had come. The law was given through the angels and entrusted to a mediator, namely Moses. But then jump down to verse 29. And this is where Paul really nails it for us. And this is how we take everything that has been said up to this point. And here's the climax of it all. If you belong to Christ, in verse 29, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The same promise of blessing is also now in Christ afforded to us as children and chosen people of God in the 21st century and beyond. And beyond. So dear friends, this Christmas, seize the opportunity. Don't be, don't be a grouch. Don't be a Grinch. <laughs> don't be a Grinch. Smile, but really remind your dear loved ones of the true story of Christmas. It's not Saint Nick. His name is Jesus Christ. Let us bow down our heads and pray. Father, this day, what a great reminder this Christmas Eve of your faithfulness, of your love. What a great reminder through this hymn of praise given to us by this humble virgin, Mary. She too magnified the Holy One. She too magnified the Almighty. May that be our song of praise. May we join even as we will this evening and consider the doxology of Luke chapter 2, verse 14 and join that heavenly host in praising the goodness, your faithfulness, your loving mercy, your holiness, your strength, your glory. Father, this Christmas, May you bless your people. May those who are watching online be encouraged and blessed and edified in the one who is almighty and is the savior of our Christmas celebration. Christ the Lord who was born this day in the city of David known as Bethlehem. Father, for your honor and your glory, if somebody here says, I want Jesus to be born in my heart, and I too respond to receive this gift of life that was incarnated on that first advent, Lord, would you be born in my heart today that I too may praise you for being the Almighty, for having mercy and for giving me promise in Christ Jesus that will extend to future generations, even when I'm no longer here in this room. We thank you and bless you for this beautiful Christmas season. In Jesus' holy name, amen.